We did this workshop in India and we were working with a group of students who went to a very rural government school. We were like in the Chennai area, but these, these girls went to school like an hour outside of Chennai and they were bused in. And when they arrived, we had to sort of do a mini tutorial on how to flush the toilet and, and use the bathroom because they came from homes that didn't have indoor plumbing. So needless to say, like they didn't have any computer experience. They didn't They'd never sent an email. They'd never used Microsoft Word. They didn't really know what the internet was. You know, we were like 100% starting from scratch. This was a week-long workshop. In the first few days, we were teaching, you know, what is the internet and like, what is an email and how to use Microsoft Word. And so we were starting from absolutely ground zero. And by the end of the week, they were following prompts and coded their own very mini website in HTML. Dominique is a graduate of NYU Tisch Drama, holds a master's degree in history from Oxford University, and is a member of the Harvard Law School class of 2022. Dominique is a founder of Code Your Chances, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire a new generation of female leaders in computer science by focusing on how CS is used in creative fields. She's also the creator of the historical podcast, Wonder Women, which aims to address the gender imbalance in traditional historiography by telling the stories of inspirational and unknown women in history. Gabrielle studied film and television production and computer science at the University of Southern California. She also recently received a master's in global affairs from Tsinghua University as a Schwarzman scholar. She founded the nonprofit Code Your Chances, which runs creative computer science workshops for young girls internationally and has just released two free for use applications. As a female in traditionally male fields, Gabrielle has a unique insight into both the challenges and opportunities for women in STEM professions. Her goal with CYC is to address the gender imbalance and stereotypes she sees in her fields by introducing girls to STEM at an early age. Code Your Chances is a 501c3 nonprofit. We're a pure nonprofit. We don't have like a B Corps arm or anything like that. And basically, we're trying to get more girls interested in learning to code and going into tech fields in general. So we feel that we are quite different than a lot of the coding organizations that are out there. Code with Classy, Girls Who Code, you know, there's a lot of really great organizations who are teaching girls how to code. But Code Your Chances is different because we are targeting girls slightly younger. We're targeting girls that don't necessarily have an interest in coding already maybe have never had prior exposure to computer science. And we're really trying to hook them in by showing them all the really creative and fun ways that computer science is used, you know, beyond your stereotypical building apps, building websites. So that's that's what we're doing at Code Your Chances. And we are passionate that this is like a really important problem of today and one that not enough people care about or are aware of. So you're working specifically with younger girls who might not already be introduced to computer science, whereas other organizations are maybe focused on women who are older and kind of already introduced to CS. In our opinion, the organizations that are currently out there are amazing, but they're not solving the root of the problem because they're only helping girls who have already decided that they want to learn to code. And we have done our own analysis and, and come to the conclusion, you know, why is it that this gender gap in computer science is growing bigger when in all other fields, you know, banking, medicine, law, the gender gap is, is closing. So why is it in that computer science it's increasing when computer science 
the field offers some of the best jobs for women, you know, in terms of maternity leave and other benefits and salary, you know, it's some of the best jobs you can get at schools. There are really great scholarships. So, so why is it that this gender gap is increasing? And we've sort of come to the conclusion that it's because there just aren't enough girls who are interested in going into it. And we're seeing more and more schools across the country offering computer science, more and more community programs offering it. So it's not even a lack of opportunity in a lot of cases. It's truly a lack of interest, we feel. And so a lot of the organizations that are already out there aren't solving that key problem because they're only teaching students who have already decided that they're interested in learning. So we're trying to go in at you know one step earlier and we're trying to catch the students who have no idea that they might be interested. And we're trying to show them, you know, why this is something they might really want to learn to do. That's fascinating that CS is the one industry that's getting worse with the gender gap. I had no idea because it's not like a dying field, right? Like it's, it's not like it's, we're getting constant technological advancements in STEM. And like you said, some of the best jobs are in CS. That's mind boggling to me that it's actually getting worse. And I went to Brown where the CS department was quite large and, and I... I guess I was introduced to the typical way that CS was taught, right? Like coding and, and creating games and seeing all the constant bugs and my friends stressing out and working for hours. So I could probably have used something like this just to make coding more fun for me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot of what we're working on too. You know, people have a very stereotypical conception of what computer science can be and, and, and what being a computer science would be scientists would be. And so really at the root of the problem, we're working on their confidence, on their feeling like they will be able to encounter these problems later. And that, you know, even with the bugs and the stress and whatever else may come in computer science, you can still create really fun projects and and you can kind of do whatever you want with it. It doesn't need to be your typical, you know, Mark Zuckerberg desk job working on some new social media app. You can make movies, you can make games. Like you said, there's there's a lot more than what people typically perceive computer science as. And I think like we're talking about this gender gap, right? And it, it goes beyond the social implications of just gender equality generally, right? Like we're talking about CS where it's like there's algorithms and bias and AI and facial recognition stuff and audio recording, you know, recognition stuff. So what are the implications of of this this gender gap when it comes to just how technology will run in society? Yeah, I mean, it's more than just the gender gap. I think there's a diversity problem problem in general. We, you know, are are focusing on on girls so that we can be a little bit more specific in our outreach but the problem is is diversity as well as gender and the reason this is such an issue is because so much of our world is becoming increasingly run by ai and these you know tools are programmed using large data sets are selected by people. And if there are inherent bias in the data set, there's gonna be inherent bias in the program and the algorithm in the tool. And this has an impact on society. So the example that we love to use because it's quite simple and it's something everyone can wrap their minds around, you know, banks use algorithms to determine who can get a loan. And this is something so fundamental to quality of life and equal opportunity. Like if you can get a mortgage or not is really a huge, you know, determining factor in what kind of life you can have and provide for your family. And so if banks are using biased data sets, you know, not intentionally, none of this is intentional, but it is inevitable because there just isn't enough diversity in the room where these tools are being programmed and designed and, you know, conceptualized. And so this does have effects, you know, another 
simple example we use is there's a lot of AI being used in medicine now in, in, you know, diagnostics and, and treatment. And this is like another area where it's just so important that, you know, the diversity of the, the diversity of the people programming these tools should reflect the diversity of the populations that they're serving. Yeah. You know, I had heard there's a guy named John Henry. He was at a VC where he'd only invest in women and founders of color. And his whole point was stop giving me props for the social impact mission of this, which is honorable in itself. And he, he owns that. And that's great. But the whole point is diversity has positive business implications or equality issues when it comes to, you know, tech and stuff. And so this is more than just, again, the social impact. This is like much larger than that. So I can see now why targeting girls at such a young age, which I will, I'll ask you next what age that is, but targeting girls at such a young age to build that pipeline, how that's going to set us up for better tech, less biases in general. So what are the, who are the girls that you're working with? Like what age ish? And I know in your bio, you said international. So you're, you're all over. Yeah. Nine to 14 is, is the typical, this changes slightly depending on who we're working with. So we do a few different, we work with a few different types of students. We have students in the US who come from areas where maybe they don't have a lot of computer science access, but they have schools or after school community programs where they've heard of things like Scratch and, and they have some like mild exposure and parental support. We also work with communities in the US that are severely underfunded school districts where they don't have these opportunities. So we're starting from a more basic level, but the access to resources is still somewhat there. You know, most schools in the US now have computers, have Wi-Fi, this sort of thing. But we also work with students in India, two different levels as well. We have some student groups in India that are, you know, have access to Wi-Fi and, and computers and we can run workshops, you know, similar to what we do in other parts of the world. We also work with some schools in India where the girls there do not have electricity at home, running water at home. They do not have computer access at home. And a lot of times the schools don't have Wi-Fi or computers either. So we're busing them to other locations or somehow facilitating how we do the workshop. We have done some work in the Philippines as well. And, and we're also scheduled to be doing some work in Uganda, which has been delayed because they've had some quite strict military lockdowns due to COVID. But when they reopen, we, we hope to start our work there as well. So depending on who we're working with, the age group might might differ slightly. Our, our girls in Uganda are meant to be slightly older, but they have less general experience with computers. So sort of all evens out in the wash, but generally we say like nine to 14. I think it's interesting because although a lot of our in-person programming and obviously a lot of things that we've done have sort of been you know put on pause from COVID or we've had to reorganize, in a sense, we've become more global as an organization because while we have a dedicated team in India and we've done in-person workshops in India, you know, kind of having to restructure our model and our, our learning methods for COVID anyways to run these sessions on Zoom has allowed us to, you know, if we are reached out to by different international organizations and countries we haven't previously worked with, we can, you know, make sure that we have people on the ground there to make sure that we're running things and interacting with the girls appropriately. But like it allows us to have a much more international presence. Yeah, that's incredible. Nine years old. That's super young. What do you, how do you keep a nine-year-old girl or 10 or 14 or whatever, like what, what are you teaching them that's entertaining enough to, to say, Hey, I love CS. That's the huge challenge. And I'll let Ella explain to you some of these fun games that we're developing, but 
again, it, it just depends on who we're working with. And although we have set curriculum and we have certain workshops that we run time and time again, we always tailor it depending on who we're working with. You know, what facilities are available? What prior experience do they have? Like, what are their language capabilities? So sometimes it's as simple as we are teaching them what binary is, you know, just the basic concepts of computers using ones and zeros. And then we show them, you know, like the ASCII alphabet conversion chart, and we'll bead our initials, like using the ASCII code. So like white beads for zeros and black beads for one or, or something like this. And so they'll code their initials just by like in ASCII using beads. Like a tangible way for them. To As like a tangible yeah. way. And they get excited that they've, you know, created something and they can go home and tell their friends or parents like, you know, about binary or ASCII or that they've coded their initials. So sometimes it's as simple as that. Another really simple but effective game we play, I'm always surprised how much the students love it because it's just so simple, but like they're always laughing hysterically. When we're teaching about algorithms, we'll play this game where we have a volunteer be like the robot that they have to program. And so pre-COVID, they would have to make like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And in our last COVID workshop, we just had the them drawing like certain symbols and they'll have to like tell step by step how to do it. So if they're making a sandwich, they'll say, oh, put the peanut butter on the bread and the volunteer will just take the whole jar of peanut butter and put it on the bread. And they're like, no, no, you have to. And they have to be specific, you know, raise your right hand, open the jar, you know, and we're just trying to teach them that you have to be really, really specific for it to run properly. And the instructions have to be in the right order. And this is, you know, so, so simple, but the students, seem to have a blast doing it. We're always surprised how much they laugh. And, you know, this is just like a really simple hands-on way to teach basic things. And then we also have developed like a few fun games. Yeah, we always try to keep things really interactive, which is what we have kept in mind developing some of the programs and games that we have coming out this year and that we've just had come out. One thing that we have is an application on the Apple App Store. It's um, currently just augmented reality, and that sort of allows them to, you know, quickly and in a tangible manner understand what augmented reality is and, and you know, play some games in it. And we tie it into our curriculum. Like if we're talking about for loops, we'll tie in whatever game is on the augmented reality thing and, and teach them how we've kind of thought about that when designing this app. But right now we have two games being developed. One is in virtual reality. So it will allow girls to experience that. And we're getting Oculus headsets. And it, the core concept is teaching basic fundamentals of code, like for loops or if else statements, algorithms through these little mini games in virtual reality. So it keeps it fun. It keeps it engaging. They know that they can create something in virtual reality using code and they're learning the code that theoretically they would in the future be able to, to do this with. And then we also are going to have attached to our website, uh, a desktop game that will be like, again, learning fundamentals of code in these mini games on our website. So introducing these concepts so that when they come across them later, they feel confident and they recognize them. But the our main goal is that they're just having fun and they're interacting and engaging and having a good time so that they're not scared of it later. <laughs> That's super fun. That sounds super fun. Like I would, I would like that. <laughs> I think the, I think the peanut butter on the sandwich thing, that was, a, that's such a cool example. I, I, I really, I can, I can understand how that would uh, click for somebody. And then how do you measure like a successful conference or measure your value? Is it 
the sentiment of one of the girls after the camp? Is it if they enroll in CS, like moving forward? How, how do you, from like a business perspective, measure that? Yeah, this is a struggle. You know, donors and, you know, other like board members, people are always trying to, you know, quantitatively measure success and impact, which is which is really difficult to do as a nonprofit. And especially what we're doing, we're we're trying to inspire girls and change the way they're thinking, which is is difficult to measure. It's not like, you know, we're planting trees or something where we can count how many how many trees we've planted. So one of the ways we've we've tried to go about capturing some of this data is that we have a, a web app that we use a lot. I mean, we developed it during COVID, but we're going to continue using it post COVID. And in it, we have like an entry and exit survey. So throughout the workshop, we'll do a lot of quizzes that have right or wrong answers, you know, where we can measure like their progress and how they're doing. But we also are doing these entry and exit surveys that ask, you know, more qualitative questions like about confidence, how confident would you feel speaking about X subject to your friends, you know, do you think you could do Y? And so that's the way we're trying to sort of measure the difference in their answers pre-workshop and post-workshop. I think moving forward, we're going to continue, you know, keeping up with our students and, and the parents that are willing. The other thing is we're working with minors. So our access to information is very much dependent on how supportive and willing the parents are, which really depends on the student groups we're working with as well. Going back to my earlier point about the importance of unbiased data, you know, some of the schools that we're working with in India, we're, we're not going to hear back from the parents or maybe even the teachers, you know, what those students are doing in two or three years time. But to the extent we can, we're going to try and follow up so that over the years we can progress in count, you know, how many students are going into computer science, how many of our girls are taking AP computer science if their school offers it, you know, this kind of thing. I think also personally for us, you know, beyond the data and the metrics, it's always really nice and fulfilling to see when we run series of workshops that are on different topics like AI or game development, virtual production and visual effects. And so we'll have like a series, how many kids come back to each one and are excited and, you know, really telling us how much fun they had at the last one and, and excited to learn what we're going to share for the next one. And I think that for me, like, you know, those, I guess, return customers, for lack of a better term, are, are always really nice and gratifying to see. It is incredibly rewarding, though. And I think regardless of what the, you know, objective takeaway is, we, we do feel like we're making a difference. And the best story I have is from really early CYC days. We did this workshop in India. And we were working with a group of students who went to a very rural government school. We were like in the Chennai area, but these, these girls went to school like an hour outside of Chennai and they were bussed in. And when they arrived, we had to sort of do a mini tutorial on how, you know, how to flush the toilet and, and use the bathroom because they came from homes that didn't have indoor plumbing. So needless to say, like they didn't have any computer experience. They didn't They'd never sent an email. They'd never used Microsoft Word. They didn't really know what the internet was. You know, we were like 100% starting from scratch. And this was our traditional model, our one, you know, day, day workshops, a few hours. This was a week-long workshop. In the first few days, we were teaching, you know, what is the internet? And like, what is an email? And how to use Microsoft Word? And so we were starting from absolutely ground zero. And by the end of the week, they prompted, you know, not, not from scratch, but they were following prompts and coded their own very mini website in HTML and were able to like switch out the appropriate code to change the color of their font and, you know, do these, add, add a photo. And it was just 
unbelievable, you know, that girls who had never opened Microsoft Word before could could do that. And it was it was really inspirational. And but it was all that was also a huge eye opener for us. And that was also a challenging experience because we learned firsthand one, it's vital that we have volunteers who are local to the area so that we are always engaging with like cultural obstacles and differences in the appropriate way. And it, it also showed, you know, made us really think about what kind of students we're targeting and, and what we want our end effect to be. And the reason this sort of came to light was we had a student start crying one of the days. And luckily, we, we had a lot of vo- local volunteers who spoke Tamil, um, who were local PhD students. But we also had one of their teachers, the reason we got connected with this group of students is they had a teacher who was part of Teach for India, which is you know very similar to Teach for America. So she was doing a placement at that school and she took the student outside, she came back in and she said, you know, let's stop for a second because I think it's really important that everyone hear why the student was crying because some of you might also feel similarly. And so it came out, the student was crying because she was 12 years old. And after that year, her grandma was not going to let her return to school. And, you know, she might even be, you know, engaged to be married not, not long after. And, and it was making her sad to learn about all of the amazing opportunities that were out there that she thought she would never get to use um, or experience. And luckily we had, you know, lots of local volunteers and the Teach for India teacher to help us appropriately navigate that situation. And she just sort of explained, look, life is long and you have no idea what is going to come up and learn everything you can now. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, just just focus and have fun now. And you you don't know what's going to happen in future. And we sort of came away from that situation going, oh, my gosh, are we doing a good thing or are we just creating more problems, you know, have we helped this girl or have we just made her sad? It was, we we felt like a moral ethical dilemma in the end, you know, I think our, our larger takeaway was okay. In, you know, this was back in, you know, 2016 In 2016, no girl should not know what the internet is or how to send an email. So the very least, like whatever happens to her future schooling, at least like we've done a good thing by, you know, giving her some amount of computer literacy, but that, that experience really made us take a step back and think bigger picture about, okay, what are our goals? Who are we trying to work with? And, and how can we do so in a way that's actually helping rather than just making ourselves feel good by coming in and and doing workshops without any sort of like long-term sustainability. So yeah, that was a really valuable early on experience and it's shaped a lot of how we've proceeded from there. Wow. What a story. I think what's really crazy here. So you were talking about how it's hard to like measure impact. Right. And with that girl that, you know, we're saying you got to learn as much as you can and life is long. You don't know what's going to happen. You can't really measure what's going to happen in 20 years, but you never know if in 20 years, like this class changed her life and something opened up down the road because she was implanted at such a young age that there's this other world of possibility. So I think that's, that's, um, that's really incredible. That, that gave me a better perspective of the bigger picture, I think. So yeah, I appreciate that. How did y'all decide to become a nonprofit? Yeah, so that's something that we <laughs> talk about a lot. Right now we're in incubation at the Harvard Innovation Labs. And, you know, this comes up a lot because the advisors there come from a for-profit background. And we get asked all the time, you know, why don't you become a B Corps? Why don't you, even if you are, because we're not just a nonprofit, we're like a strict version of a nonprofit. We don't charge for any of our products or services. You know, no one is paid on our, it's all volunteer based. Like we're really like a true, true nonprofit. And 
and no one on the team is, is gaining anything and we're, we're not charging for anything. And so we're asked all the time, you know, why don't you just, you're building all these tools, you're building all these games and apps and whatever. Why don't you just charge for them? Why don't you charge schools for them? And then you can be more self-sustaining. You don't have to rely on donations. And this is very tempting, of course, because, you know, soliciting funds and getting donations is, is a horrible side of running a nonprofit and it's really hard. But at this point, maybe in future, we'll have to move towards that as we expand our reach. At this point, it's still just so important to us that we are, are able to provide what, what we're offering to everyone, like regardless of resource barriers. And then it's a very even playing field. So yeah, at this point, we're, we're not charging for anything. Maybe in future as we were talking, you know, about some larger like national partnerships, maybe on, on that level, it will have to move to a model where we are charging for some of the products that we've, we've created to let other people use them. But at this point, we're still very much bootstraps. And <laughs> it started very much as a passion project and something that we felt we really needed to do. So we just kind of came together and did whatever we needed to make it happen. And I think that we've just like grown kind of in that lane. And I think that this is where we give a big shout out to all of our CYC team that are doing this also as a passion project, because they really, you know, a lot of them are computer science students and they see this, you know, what I experience at school, there's not a lot of girls in computer science and everyone involved just really wants to, you know, ensure that there's a better future in this field. So yeah, couldn't do without them. And, and that's sort of how it's grown just from, from our own passion. And, and yeah. I get the dilemma. It's like, you don't want to limit access to information. Like that's the whole point is like, we want to give you all the possibility information knowledge that we can, and we don't want to charge for it. And I understand that. You're, so you're talking about this was a passion project. What is your story? How did you decide that this is something you want to commit to? So I studied computer science and it's not an exaggeration that in some of my classes, I was the only girl in the class in all of them. I was one of the very few. And, you know, you, you're definitely met with different microaggressions within the classes and courses. There's a lot of stereotypes that are involved in, in girls in computer science are perceived and how we're all meant to perceive computer science. And I feel like that really impacted my studies for a while. I felt, you know, definite imposter syndrome and all of my female friends felt the same. And, you know, we kind of self-examined that if this was introduced to us earlier and we were told from an early age that this was something that we could do and feel confident about that it wouldn't be as difficult to to start studying now if that makes sense it's just like very much like almost a mental thing and that having this opportunity early on getting the exposure and showing girls, you know, the range and breadth of things that you can do with it would be very helpful and impactful. So it kind of sprouted from a bit of personal experience. And then our early workshops were Dominique had some friends at Oxford that, you know, similarly had different experiences, wanted to do this India workshop and it kind of just sprouted from there. But yeah, it was definitely sprouted from some of my personal experiences studying computer science. Yeah. And, and I need to sort of rewrite some of these stereotypes. I mean, Ella would come home with stories at school about literally choosing what she was going to wear to class <laughs> based on whether she was had a CS class that day because she, you know, like has nice clothes and looks cute. And if she wore nice things and, you know, forbid wore makeup to her computer science class, she would come home and say that she felt her teachers and, and student and peers treated her differently, didn't take her seriously. And, and 
It was almost like an experiment. You could definitely tell on the day if I wore like a bright lipstick. It would be di- treated differently in class or in lab sessions. Whereas if like I wore a messy bun, glasses, no makeup, it's much easier to be like integrated into the, which is just like an interesting personal quip. But yeah, it all it all matters. It all it all affects how you learn and how you feel you can contribute to the fields. Yeah. Well, there's just no, I mean, now it's 2022. There's, there's just no room for that anymore. Like computer science is being used in almost every industry and almost every field. We need all types of people to be working on this, you know, people from all different backgrounds and viewpoints and creative people and artistic people. So it's just not going to work to stick with the same stereotype of, you know, guys who were good at math and like to play video games and, you know, we're encouraged to learn to code and, and no one else was. This, this is not going to give us the tools we need for a dynamic, like an adapting world. And our choice to focus on creative applications. I mean, that obviously helped engaging young girls. And so that seemed like a natural decision. But also, you know, I was very lucky. I studied computer science and film and had some incredible Academy Award winning visual effects mentors that kind of helped guide me down this path and how I could apply both. And like currently there's not that many people that are doing that. And so my friends that work at Google and Facebook and, you know, took the same classes as me or or people that are studying in school now, you know, I tell them what I do and, and how I combine the two and everyone's mind is always just blown because they didn't, they weren't previously exposed to that because what we think of as computer science and what we're learning at university is not typically these creative applications. So that was personally important for me also to, to sort of share and help grow the field. Yeah, thank you for sharing. People notice issues all the time and problems and want to make an impact and whatnot, but to actually take it to the level that you have with the ages of the girls that you're working with, several hundred students that you guys have worked with from several countries around the world. I'm, um, I'm rooting for you. I'm really excited. And I wanted to ask one more question. Thank you for your time. This has been great. Time flew by. Like I had no idea we were over three minutes already, but what can we do? Our, our audience, or our listeners, or, you know, moms, girls that are listening to this, what can they do to help you out and shout out your social medias and website for us too? There's a, there's a lot depending on who's listening. If you are in college and you are a computer scientist or want and want to volunteer to be a teacher or just volunteer more generally, you can apply on our website. If you're in high school, we have a youth leadership board. It's a pretty rigorous interview application process, but we have an amazing team of youth leaders. So high schoolers are encouraged to apply for that if they want to get involved. There's a donation page on our website if someone's looking to, you know, up their tax write-off <laughs> before year end. You know, people can make tax-deductible donations. And as we've said, everything is completely goes to our workshops. None of us are paid, you know, like you will, every cent that is donated <laughs> will make a huge impact yeah. in how we teach the girls. And in, in, in your daily life, you know, Try not to perpetuate these these stereotypes of who who can be a computer scientist and and what computer science is used for. And I think we can all just be a little bit more mindful about how this is affecting our lives and and the need for diversity. And if people are interested in following along with our journey, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Code Your Chances. And our website, which also contains a lot of information and applications and resources, is CodeYourChances.com. So super easy. And yeah, we'd, we'd love to stay in touch with people and, and we welcome people to reach out by email, DM. I checked out your website. I, I mentioned this earlier, but the, the video on it was so cute where you had <laughs> the workshop in India. So if anyone's interested, you should definitely check out the website, check out the work that they've done. It, it's super awesome. Um, but thank you all so much for your time. This was great. Thank you for the conversation. Yes, it's been great.
everyone tuning in. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. We will catch y'all next week. Have an awesome weekend, everybody.